Hey everyone, before we get started, just want to let you know that we are on the Facebook where you can like us and confabulate about issues, musical and cultural. We are also on the World Wide Web at albumorientedpodcast.com. Finally, we are also on iTunes and other great podcasting services where you can subscribe and give us good reviews. Thanks. Two, three. One, two, three, one, a two, a one, two, three. Two guys who grew up during the album era. Two lists of the 100 albums of all time. This is Album Oriented. of dramatic conflict and also based in reality. I am Eric Kurtz, the apologetic indie snit anglophile who never stops paying attention to mainstream music. And I am Daniel Nestor, the unapologetic mainstream champion who watched every episode of 120 Minutes and has pockets of obscuro factoids. Good to see you again. I had a uh, I had a cold earlier in the week, and I really wish we were recording. I had this great Morrison baritone that I wanted to capture for the ages. So it wasn't hoarse; it was just deeper. Oh man, it was sonorous. Deeper, deeper. <laughs> I mean, deep, you got you have a my... you have a radio friendly voice. Oh, I mean, I, you I, could just be like, yeah, baby. We 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 should uh, uh, prompt listeners to vote. I think yours is maybe no. better. No, I I, I sound... you have a better. Go ahead. I sound like Eric Bogosian at my best. You, you, sir. <laughs> no. You are like Walter oh. Cronkite. Uh, so, uh, welcome. I'm Daniel Nestor. And I'm Eric Hertz. And this is Album Oriented. Album Oriented, yeah. Ob- Ablum Oriented. Pablum. Album. 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 I don't think we ever decided, really, on the... If we're going with the A or the all. All in this oh, regional. No, I, I, it's regional again. Right? I think it's regional, but you're you definitely have a Midwest. I've been I've been mind melding with your Midwestern <laughs> accent now for like fifteen episodes. I've been forcing you to. No, it's nice. I mean, all, that's, we're album oriented, right? 
Or I, I say album. Album. Album oriented. Album oriented. Hey, sugar. So, uh, do we have any um, <laughs> recants or anything that we want to do to talk about episode 85? Because we are on episode um, 84 now. You know what? What I want to talk about, and avid listeners will remember, mm-hmm. that back in episode 100, the very mm-hmm. first bomb that we dropped. Oh, the Ramon Smiths? The Ramon Smiths, but more importantly, the Billy Joel Glass House. <laughs> And, and look, I can't. I'm still proud of that. I'm I'm now proud of that. Pick. You should be proud of it. It's fantastic, and I can't emphasize enough that on on upon second and third listenings, listeners, uh-huh. you'll start to pick up some of the nuances and some of the other Easter eggs. Uh, yeah, all the yeah. all the other things that we've threaded through. That there's only- going to be a think piece like <laughs> a year from now. Like, has album oriented been all about? Deep Space Nine, or and you know. didn't re- even realize it. <laughs> right. So if you've gotten this far, I encourage you to go back now to mm. 100 and make your way through. No, this is. I was actually this weekend. I was hanging out with a professional philosopher. That is some, someone who gets paid to philosophize, and I, and I brought up uh, listeners will remember that um, Billy Joel's glass house. He is outside the glass house, about to throw the rock at the glass house. And so we brought up the famous truism. Those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Right. And that's the correct one. right? That's true. Did he bring up? But then I said, but does it work then that if, so if you, if you create it into the philosophical logic statement, if people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, therefore, People who are outside of glass houses should throw stones. <laughs> he said, "Yes." So wow, we win. Is all I'm saying. Wow, so validated it, it, by a professional philosopher. For, yeah, first of all, I'm so glad we're revisiting this topic. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying it's, it's all threaded back, and yeah. you know, you, you yeah. can't you can't listen to the podcast enough. Is what I'm trying to say. What's Plato's cave? Everybody who it's Plato's cave. It's, 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 it's like, come on, it's Plato's cave. It's Plato's is cave. that does that have any relevance here? Uh, like he's in the cave, or somebody's. It's like a hypothetical person in the cave, it's, or something. It's or a, all about. Uh, it, it's not related, but <laughs> Plato's cave is all about the difference between real forms and ideal forms. And Plato believes that there's an ideal form, like uh, a glass house made by Frank Lloyd Wright in Long Island, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but Plato would argue that there is a, an actual. Um, spiritual or idealized version of that house and this is just um uh, a manifestation physical manifestation of the idealized oh, version i'm i'm really hoping the lcd sound system <laughs> stuff is still playing right now <laughs> let's hurry up and get back to music <laughs> that's that's rough man yeah, even, even even though you brought it up your eyes are starting to glaze over isn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah but i i'm I, I think it's i think he brings up important topics i mean the nylon curtain Plato? the nylon curtain <laughs> yeah, well, and plato he's all <laughs> he did bring up some yeah i think plato had the nylon curtain uh riff as well you know I'm so glad that our uh, our you know uh, video cam is is off today as well. <laughs> We're waiting for episode fifty to, to right make exactly. The, uh, make that a real we have to like live cast one of these. Like just put a couple like three camera coverage. <laughs> I just was on Twitch for the first time. Do you know what that is? I don't. You watch people play video games and you engage in a chat. I know. I just blew okay. your mind. I just blew you your did. mind. <laughs> It's also it, about the necessity of this. I, I, I don't yeah, know. I'm thinking we could we could do something on Twitch. 
maybe we could play Pong while we while we talk about you know the lower <laughs> rungs of our top 100. <laughs> we'll get live feedback while we're doing it, right. and uh, well, just, I- just read stuff. So, so <laughs> listeners will just hear silence while we're reading feedback from people. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so uh, I, I, but yeah, last time we were we were we were deep in the 90s still, and today the tradition continues. Well, we were we were actually in. Well, you were in the you were deep in the '90s. I was in the mid '80s with Tom Waits's uh, Rain Dogs. That's and true. Whether I did yes. it justice or not, I'm not sure. I mean, I I I, th- I think. Um, well, I think we talked- also we talked about Mark Rabot. That's good. I'm glad we talked about those things because I think a lot of times uh, it's the side people that that really make stuff happen. Where are the the side people that I really loved, you know, on all those albums? Because they every, make her worthwhile. Yeah. yeah, everybody played on those albums, man. You <laughs> they did. Do you don't like Joan Armstrong? You? You'll have I to love explain her fascination at some point. But oh, really? Yeah. No. I I mean, I, I've seen her in concert a couple times with a full band, and it was great. But solo, I just I, oh, yeah. I felt no, so but she did know how to pick pick the band. She her did. producers did. Oh, okay. I mean, so that that was another thing I read, like an unauthorized Joan Armstrong biography over the summer. And I real it was sort of shattered things for me. It was all Glenn Johns. You that's know? how that's how DP is in folks. He's, <laughs> yeah. This summer on the beaches of Maine, I was yeah. reading Joan Armitrading's <laughs> unofficial, non-authorized biography. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tell-all. It it was kind of, <laughs> but it was good. I recommend Joan Armitrading to anybody. Get track record or the Purple A and M greatest hits. You you won't be disappointed. But. But, what's uh, a favorite what's a favorite track? Oh, down to zero, baby. today let's look at the list we okay are, well so i like i said we we are we, we seem to be hovering in the 90s here somehow yeah yeah and by 90s i mean the time period and you and i'm still listening to slint mm. uh they're with their stunning album this is slint is that what it was called uh we, we are slint and you suck <laughs> if you can't lick them lick them <laughs> lick them yeah uh is, who, who did it if you can't lick them lick them i think ted nugent i think it was nugent yeah, it was ted nugent yeah uh <laughs> <laughs> Close. 
Spiderland was, Spider- was the name of the album. <laughs> what was your favorite one? Your your favorite like not even on like a single entendre was like roll them up and stick them live. <laughs> what was it? It was it's a Poison Live album, I think. Oh, uh, swallow this. <laughs> there were executives who signed that's off right. on that. That's right. That's right. Like there were like actual probably memos from graphic design, like enclosed, please find the, the mock up for swallow. They probably just called it STL. <laughs> like in in emails <laughs> or AOL messages. <laughs> so today we are so deep in the nineties. We are we, <laughs> we are on episode eighty eighty four, and we have a double mojo swap. Double mojo the, swap. The double swap. <laughs> double swap. Double swap. And uh, so I will be no. I instead of holes live through this uh, from 1994, which is further up the list. I will be talking about DJ Shadows end introducing. End That's not hyphenated. I just wanted to emphasize the end. Yeah. Rather than the introducing. He was being clever. He was. Yeah. He's still clever. <laughs> and do you know what you're doing? Do you need to look at the list? I'm actually oh looking at the Wait, list. Wait, am I doing something today? So instead of Patty Smith horses. Instead, right. I am doing Portishead's dummy. Nobody loves me. Oh, and yeah. And I have a kicker pick from 1995. This is another salvo, man. I'm All d- my th- kicker picks uh, are salvos. And I think I've done pretty pretty. I've done pretty good at guessing. <laughs> guessing, but I... I'm all, I'm all out of tricks. Been, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll never even guess yours. Yours, yours are somehow. like this is Ornette Coleman's second cousin who did a synth pop album in 1982. Oh, you don't know about it? I mean, you're my street cred, you know, and no. I'm and I'm uh, I'm the embarrassment. <laughs> no, come on, the, the Doctor Octagon you brought in, you, you brought in great stuff. That's good. The That's Billy good. Joe was a great. Come on, this is great stuff. <laughs> and the, you brought the Van Halen. Yeah. And I just read, like, in one night, I'll loan it to you, uh, uh, Van Halen Rising. It's, a, it's the story of the beginnings of Van Halen, and it is wonderful, wonderful. I just uh, shared a, this guy. How does he get this Before stuff? Gene Simmons got there. Oh, it, it was Gene, the whole Gene Simmons thing is, is outlined in that. Uh, oh. it's, and, it, and it's, uh, you know, I didn't know that he brought the band to Electric Ladyland Studios to, to cut demos and that it's rumored or e- almost even confirmed that the guitar solo on Christine 16 is, in fact, Eddie Van Halen because he was helping cut some demos. Mm. So it's just so much like nerd, you know, and it's, it's basically like a scholarly book. It's, this guy's a proper historian. So uh, his last name's Renoff. A good, you know, a good two-hour podcast. Everyone loves a good two-hour podcast. <laughs> We've have we hit the two-hour mark on oh, any of these? No, no, and we better not. We're I like mean, an hour and a half sometimes. Y- y- yes, that's right. We're, yeah, we're like movie length. Our sponsors we're... are up in arms. <laughs> like, do you have a goal for a sponsor? Just like a dream sponsor, besides Bloomsbury, because that's not going to happen. The thirty-three and the third people. <laughs> You're going to have to, sir, you will have to edit that out. (laughs) You will have to edit out your words. It's the underwear club, probably. Have you ever heard that one? No. It's like, like, they they even sponsor on uh, Howard Stern now. It's like really awesome underwear. Do you have some? No, no, not yet. So when we we get back, I'm going to talk about... uh, uh, DJ Shadow. DJ Shadow. Yeah.
breakdown, baby. how you start an episode <laughs> so that was in succession the uh korean funk group he six he space numeral six uh their track get ready it's uh actually part two and that is the drum break from that song and then i played you a little bit of dj shadows the number song which is the third track that is the third track from dj shadows 1996 Debut studio album, uh, introducing, introducing from 1996. Yeah. So, so the reason why I felt compelled to do that to, to play you the the raw drum break from an obscuro Korean funk band, yeah, and then play you the track in which DJ Shadow, um, you know, integrates it into his track. Um, I did it for a couple of reasons. One, he basically uses it straight through. I mean, there's probably some nips and tucks as we move along. Then he has a, a, sort of a synth bed, mm-hmm. it would be fair to say, underneath of it. And it's the culmination of that track. Um, and I think that what DJ Shadow brings to the table, as well as so many other DJs, is is that crate digging aspect. Like, he, before introducing, I didn't, I was not aware of the Korean funk band E6, right? <laughs> so what what makes... Albums like this, and indeed um, DJ Shadow's uh, album, so great is is that he's going in and digging in the crates, digging in the the record stores. That the actual cover of the album is is two fellas, you know, flipping through the album, going through tr- the stacks, trying yeah. to find trying to find basically the best breaks in all of these uh, in all of these records, right? Yeah, and so and this is and this is thoroughly old school in a in, in a way that. I think we intimated last time we got together that this is our one DJ for the whole of the podcast. And it's this white guy from the mid nineties from California, from California. Yeah. And I, and you know, uh, I just want to, as a side note, um, Africa Bambata's record collection uh, is housed at Cornell. And I just saw it. Did Uh, you? I did. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yeah. A few months ago. And, you know, you, that's you, heavy. You just you can dig through his. I'm surprised they let you touch it, but I I don't know. You know, it's like <laughs> as if it were some sort of Egyptian mummy or something. But <laughs> you can flip through his his crates of of records there, and he's got he starred all the records like, and then makes little notes about what it's good for, and uh, you know, it's like 
craft work is in there mm-hmm. and uh, yellow magic orchestra i'm like this kind of looks like my record collection african bambata <laughs> from the late 70s you know and early 80s and uh i find it always fascinating to go when you go to a record store and you're looking particularly particularly in the 12 inch section and you see those those numbers when I, at first i was like what the hell is 150 doing up up top on all these records 120 130 and those are the beats per minute mm-hmm. and the, and so that's that's how these uh the the old school DJs at least pre pre digital would beat match the, these things. I mean, you could slow it down and and speed things up a little bit on the actual turntable itself. That's right, uh, of course. But once you start integrating uh, like a Kai, is that how you say it? A Kai? Yeah, you know, the type, Akai thing. Yeah. Uh, the sampler. The sampler. Uh, then it enters a, a whole different dimension. Um, yeah. You, but you bring up maybe well, a, maybe I, a topic I wanted to bring up. Uh, I definitely wanted to bring up is like this is the one DJ in the entire list, and indeed he isn't even on the list that we are talking about. Ostensibly, he's he's a swap, right? Right. He's, he, so there were no it, yeah. DJs on any uh, either the uh, Entertainment Weekly, right, or uh, NME list. And for some odd reason, the NME list exclusion of a DJ album is more surprising than the Entertainment Weekly. I would find that. I think we're just more conservative about like what is music in the United States as opposed to England, and indeed DJ Shadow's album was so much more of a of a phenomenon in England on a popular level than it was in the States. And the States was a critical fave for sure. And you know, aficionado nerds like ourselves, would, it would hit our radars, but you wouldn't. I bought it that year. Yeah. So I think that uh, I think there's that, and then there's also the fact that. Well, why him and not African Bambata or, you know, Prince Paul or can you help me out with other names? I mean, Frankie fucking (laughs) Knuckles, you know, like (laughs) Jellybean Benitez. I mean, like and I think what happens is, is, you know, we talked a little bit about singles and privileging the album. And I think that's what what DJ Shadow did. And it's no small. That's a good point. He made a DJ album album. as opposed to, you know, my African Bambata collection is is 12 inches. You know, I have Planet Rock. You know, I have like three different versions. You know, he tried to resuscitate Planet Rock in the '90s. I have like some bad remixes of that. That's another vinyl 12 inch, and and of course he could assemble them into albums. But I think what DJ Shadow accomplished is no small thing. Before I start ragging on him and saying like, why is he the only one on here? Get off my lawn, DJ Shadow. Is he is he made a, a pretty fine concept type album using DJ methods? Um, Contemporary DJ methods, I guess. Yes. Yeah, you know, using the 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 Akai sampler and um, these other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, oddly, we have, and we'll get to it in just a little bit, but we we have two artists today that are both considered trip hop. Yes. Oh, yeah. You, you beat know? me to it. Yeah. yeah but well, yeah, I'm sorry. This is... But uh, this it seems oddly applied to DJ Shadow. But go go ahead. What were you going to oh, say? No, no. I mean, I I, I want to bring up race again because here's two white. You know, artists using hip hop, you know, beats and hip hop culture and turning it into trip hop. What to what extent are they columbusing all this stuff, all of these all of these beats? Or to what extent are they aficionados? I, I definitely don't think that they're columbusing themselves, but I think maybe some people and to define Columbus. It's. I think it's probably from Spike Lee saying, like, don't claim you white residents of you know, you know, Fort Greene or whatever. You think you're Christopher freaking Columbus moving into these you know, previously all African American neighborhoods and think that you've discovered this stuff. You know, right, right. Um, so I think that 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 has a little bit of a 
has some applicability to both of the artists that we're talking about today. Probably more so with DJ Shadow, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, and I, and I, and uh, being that we're men of a certain age, mm-hmm. uh, and we are, uh, I I think the, this whole thing becomes extremely more complicated when you know DJ Shadow. I think is a good at least ten years younger than than we are. But 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 that means though is that he grew up with this kind of music as the oxygen of his musical world. Right. Uh, as opposed to, you know, we kind of grew up in an environment when, even though we loved so many of those early hip hop things, we knew <laughs> that that was music for, you know, uh, certain or, parts of society a- and we had our music and we could enjoy it. But, you know, we knew that to pretend that you were <laughs> doing that would not be a good thing. There was even yeah. the question whether it was music or not. I remember when Rapper's Delight came oh, on and it was played. People, people well, still. Yeah, well, there's yeah. that, yeah. I mean, but I think even the beginning was like, is this a novelty record? You know, like a D, you know, is this just like a DJ rapping over, you know, just talking over a beat? That's you right, know? that's right. Because yeah. they. It'd be know, a fad of some kind. Yeah, at least the. A novelty song. So just to circle back to DJ, DJ Shadow's introducing, I mean, it, I, I, th- I find that it's a, kind of like an assault on the senses in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of un- relentless, even in the moody tracks of bringing in all these different samples. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I even got hip to the He6 track that I played was whosample.com oh. uh, is, is like crack for people like me. Because I want to know, and I'm, when I le- really like a track that's DJ-based or uses samples, I want it... I want to. I go right to this website and I lose an afternoon, <laughs> right? You know, and yeah. I end up, you know. And there's these great collections where it's like all the breaks, all the original songs from the breaks of DJs that you really love. I love all that sort of stuff. So in a way, my my consumption of something like DJ Shadow's uh, work or you know other DJ albums is to look up what's sampled and see, you know, what did <laughs> what did the Bomb Squad sample, you know, you know in their public enemy tracks and you get to take a look Oh, that little one little snippets from owner of a, blo- a lonely heart and you know rock the bells by <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's L- right. cool j or whatever and speaking of which dj shadow was hugely influenced by public enemy yeah yeah, yeah. uh and, and i the think the way that they did that and what they made uh what dj shadow did was sort of take away the rapper you know there's there's no right. there's you know you take a look at other dj albums and there's guest rappers all over the place with dj shadow it's instrumental all the way I mean, sure, there's some like dialogue from movies and stuff, which just speak back to um, Portishead. You know, it's sort of sound like a movie, an imaginary movie soundtrack kind of thing. Right. Um, and you, you know, somebody like Moby, for instance, always brings in like a sample that has a vocal hook or um, or maybe an actual singer. Like I think Gwen Stefani sings on a track of his. Or so I think that's another innovation, or just he was maybe one of the first people to do it, or to bring it to a general to a um, a mass audience. Yeah, so. yeah, and so it was a critical favorite here, a big hit in the in the, in the UK yeah. and in Europe, and, but but also tracks with the, those conversations we've had about how uh, electronic music, like the Chemical Brothers, was was huge uh, going right. into the nineties, and you know, so it played really well there. While over here in the states, we just weren't trying to hear that. So, as Still. our resident a- Anglophile, why do you think that is? Is it because they all have like ample vacation time to go to Ibiza and like wear thongs and be in front of a DJ booth? I mean, really, I mean, that's a serious question. I'm sorry, your listeners. I mean, is it because is it because they can get on Ryanair and then just like go to, you know, go to tropical parts and you know, 
is because of the festival culture. Is it maybe? because New Order changed everything? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't expect. Think about well. I mean, think about how most of this the synth, the big synth pop groups that you'd that you'd like to name uh, in the way that synthesizers took over, even by the late seventies and, and early eighties, were, were mostly out of England. And so I think there was this move away from guitar based music by the time by the late eighties. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. But I can't, you know. As we've talked about before, I mean, it's like soccer in the United States too. It's like everyone keeps wondering when is it going to be a really big deal. Yeah, uh, and yeah. It took, and uh, it took decades. Yeah, uh, I'm still, what, still soccer, still not there. Um, <laughs> even though everyone's child is playing it, uh, but at any rate, uh, that's a, that, that, that's a digression. But um, but as we've discussed, I mean, most of the songs on the radio now, the United States hits are. Are, D- are DJ based almost? Yeah, either that or and uh, made by those uh, Swedish those Swedish people. Yes, Max Max Martin is his name. Yeah, <laughs> DJ. It's sort of like the idea of DJ Shadow as as well. At least is for the purposes of our podcast. Because recently, it was maybe a couple summers ago. Uh, the re- the uh, radio station K K E X P. You know the uh, are they the morning becomes eclectic people? Not sure. No, that's in Seattle. KEXP Seattle for 24 hours played every song sampled from Paul's Boutique's mm. Paul's Boutique, the BC Boys Paul's Boutique. Right. Uh, produced by or DJed by in part by the Dust Brothers. Right. Right. And stay tuned. We'll talk about that one. We will. Yeah. So, I mean. Weeks from now. So, I guess that that helps now with with the internets. You know, we can, we and who sampled, you know, we can go and find out like where these DJs are getting their tracks. And a lot of times it's uh, hard to identify, like, because things are speed up or sped up or slowed down or this method called chopped, where uh, like a beat will actually just be maybe even spaced out. So they're actually using the kick drum, but they're using, they're giving it like a couple milliseconds before the snare hits from the sample that they're using. Right. And it's, uh, I might not be explaining chopped. Like, <laughs> that sounds good. But, yeah. but that's that's uh, the methods that are happening now in the digital age. You couldn't do that with just two turntables, you know, and a microphone. So uh, so for me, it's it's really interesting. Was that a back reference? Yeah, that was a back reference. <laughs> so let's play another track. Yeah. By the way, I, I, uh, a side note: I feel like the uh, the poet in you must uh, and me must also love that. That sort of like it's like Eliot or something, like T.S. Eliot. You know, like uh, all of these things have these pointers, references to all these different spots, and uh, it's wonderful to not only hear it as a, as a whole, 
but then also be reminded of the sources from from whence they came and be well take it, delight in that. Right. I think Elliot is is a good example because thank you because he had uh, <laughs> because he he presented these sources and didn't fucking say where they were from. He didn't, he wasn't helpful at all. Mm-mm. And these DJs are not either. He didn't have a website. <laughs> he didn't have a website. There were no footnotes. You know, so these illusions. Who, who, or, what's, what's the who, what's the name of the website? Did you say again? Who sampled.com. Who sampled? Well, actually, who, you who know, referenced. Who was referenced.com? But actually, there's, there's, you know, poetry, poetry genius is, is there's a website now where oh, I'm things, sure. poems yeah. are annotated right. and it's quite helpful. And I think that, uh, there should be more of that. And I think I have an issue with Elliot as well as DJ Shadow in, in, uh, presenting these things as a completed work when in fact there are things that they're literally sampling and, and stitching together. Yes. And, and uh, it makes you look smarter. You know, it yeah. makes it makes it makes it it privileges that work over the work works that you've brought. But what about He Six, that that funk band from Korea? You know, Korea. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. But that uses a full minute and a half. That drum solo is is used like as a big bloop. So that's a minute and a half of an album that's you know. Well, it's about 500 minutes long on Spotify. Yeah. So, it, so, uh, so even though I made the comparison and we can't uh, tarry on Elliot too long because that would be a, a completely different podcast. Because he was sexually frustrated and I bet you DJ Shadow is a healthy <laughs> sex life just for that. But I think that the point of most of those DJs going all the way back to Africa and Bambada and why he had the Kraftwerk record is because you were trying to find things that no one else could identify. Yeah, the brothers in the Bronx were like, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> if we were not on a podcast, I'd be using like an Eddie Murphy black voice. I just have to <laughs> confess that. But they were like, yo, what is that stuff? That stuff's freaky. And that's... Who are those German dudes in lipstick <laughs> yeah. on, on the album? Go, why are their shirts so fitted? <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, 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 but Elliot wanted you to know who those, I mean, that he imagined an audience that would have gotten all those references. I yes. mean, that, 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 that's the difference. Right. But he didn't imagine you know, hundreds of thousands of college sophomores like saying, what the hell is this? I'm supposed to like it because my professor said so. so. But Elliot, he put his own footnotes in there. Did he? He did. He did? Yeah. It wasn't in, just in, Ezra in Pound the... urging him to do so? No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. Look at the, if you look at the wasteland again, you'll see he's footnoted all of his own. I got my Vivorium Most edition upstairs, brother man. Don't oh, yeah. Make me, don't you can make... look. You can look. Okay. But listeners, this is all essential to thinking about <laughs> why this is a great, a great work of art because of the ways in which uh, it's not only it's his own song, but sometimes you can e- even if you don't know the song, it reminds you of a certain genre of music, and so you know it's like the great postmodern argument about how it it's an accumulation accumulation of weight. Yeah, uh, that occurs in the song when it's pointing in multiple directions simultaneously. And I want to say that I, I don't, I don't, not, I don't think that DJ Shadows introducing or the whole project of DJing and DJing music is not a valid form of music. I think where the rubber hits the road for me is um, to what extent does does uh, borrowing then become like an art form itself? I guess the buzzword is curation, right? That's what, you know, mm. like the way that DJ Shadow curates this stuff and brings these things in. Because for as many times as there is this cool moment where you listen to a He Six drum solo and you're like, man, without the synth bed, it sounds really even cooler, at least to me. <laughs> you go on this other track and it's some like maybe lame track that has like maybe five seconds of a cool drum break, right? Like a Doobie Brothers song or something like that, that, that has right. like a nice fill that is then isolated and put into a cooler context. And it's recon, you know, it's like the way you, 
you put it in a Barry Manilow Copacabana in the middle of one of my mixtapes. That shit's deaf when I do it. You know, <laughs> at least I think I am. That's, that's right. You know, it's a lot better than having like Daybreak after it. Like I've got a I've got a Chili Pips song afterwards. You know, <laughs> I'm going back to the '80s here. Yeah, uh, yeah. I might have even like done some little mixing myself with my double cassette recorder, like with like uh, you know the, oh, the yeah. intro of uh, Copacabana. It's pretty cool. You know, some 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 good session players they have there. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's that recontextualization of these of these clips that are really great because, like I said, you know, a ten minute funk song from from a Korean you know funk band has that two minute drum solo, but all that stuff leading up to it might be kind of pedestrian. Do you have any moral quandaries of whether or not that Korean drummer is getting any money from GJ Shadow for that? No, no. Neither do I. <laughs> no. I don't know. I just figured. Fuck him. I just figured... <laughs> I bring it up because everybody brings it up. Mm, wow! Yeah, no, 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 got very serious in there suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is like you know the Amen break, you know, like uh, you know that 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 break is on every track whatsoever. And there's this you know documentary on YouTube where they have the guy and like I'm the guy who did the drum break. <laughs> I'm I'm destitute. <laughs> you know, like, it's on all these hit records, so you, it tugs on my heartstrings sometimes. But then I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't have heard it for these other people. <laughs> so <laughs> have a coke and a smile. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, all right. Well, so let's play uh, the changeling. Uh, changeling front slash transmission. Yes. So one of the uh, artists or albums that I found at the beginning uh, of trip hop that really made me realize I like trip hop was Portishead, and that came out three years before this album. And that is your that is your segue. So are you going to play us some uh, some Portishead now? Is that what you're going to do? Are you are you still trying to settle some sort of were you were contra contra? How do you say it in English accent? Controversial controversial I, I don't know are we discussing aluminium or something i thought you were looking up uh it's josh you know, davis josh davis <laughs> it is josh turn it down down there 
Mom, I'm, I'm making records. <laughs> Mom, I'm, I'm doing IBM. The IDM. IDM. That's right. I'm busy introducing things. <laughs> you have IBM? <laughs> That's good. Okay. So, um, so yeah. So, Portishead, for me, it, it came out in, what, 94 or something like that? Is that what's happening? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So it came out in '94 um, and is uh, intricately linked to what is sometimes referred to as the Second British Invasion. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Where, yeah. What were they? In, what, what were they invading? What were they invading? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the the cute boys from Blur and, and Oasis and oh. uh, the Radioheads, and uh, there was there was suddenly a, 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 an extreme influx. Of British bands, they in, sold in hundreds of thousands of albums in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Not millions. That's, that was my joke there. It would be hard. Uh, I, I'll bet Oasis did a little bit better in the United States. Yes, yes, yes. But I, I don't. We'll I, have plenty of time to talk about them later. I don't really think of them as uh, as invading Britons, the Portishead people. I think of them more as uh, you know, sort of sui generis in a way. I mean, they they just sort of came and and then you. You discover them, and then you start listening to Massive Attack and, and other kind of sort of related trip-hop artists, right? Because um, I didn't know of Massive Attack until I listened to Portishead. Uh-huh. But, I, but I bet you were listening to Massive Attack at Al, and then you were like, oh, this is a nice And then also Portishead came along, yeah. yeah. Because it was, it was the same scene out of uh, Bristol. The Bristol scene, <laughs> they called it. Wow, it's getting specific. Bristol, Pennsylvania. <laughs> and in, fa- in fact, Portishead is the name of a town outside of uh, um, Bristol. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, they were they were they were rec- they, you know, representing yes uh, by calling themselves uh, as such. And so, what did you know? What did they do so well? Uh, the, trip hop was really popular. Uh, I mean, it really came seemed to come out of nowhere, uh, and but was this amalgam right of these uh, ambient synths? You know, we just heard actually a little bit of an example of that from DJ Shadow. Even though I tried to argue, it just sounds like that. I'd rather call him mm-hmm. <laughs> an instrumental hip hop artist. But nonetheless, uh, and then bringing in these uh, trip hop uh, beats. I'm sorry, these hip hop beats underneath it. Uh, but that, yeah, that ambient synth uh, and the and the cool iciness of it all made it sound trippy. Had a had a psychedelic, very emotional. Uh, feel to a very chilled emotional feel let's to not it, forget yeah. the hip-hop beats did you mention the hip-hop i did beats? i didn't mention okay, let's it. mention them again because <laughs> that's the, really the hook there the hip-hop the slow hip-hop beats. yeah the slow slow funky drummer that, type hip-hop beats that puts the hop in the trip hop <laughs> <laughs> but i think it's like what so you know like so many things had like just funky drummer in the back right remember uh that strawberry fields forever <laughs> cover mm. right right
forget what that freaking EMF. I mean, there was just KLF as well. Yeah, well, you know, what was huge... At, it, in another world across the continents, you know, in America, New Jack Swing uh, in the early 90s yes, completely taken off, right? There's no New Jack Swing on our top 100, is there? There's, there's no Black Street uh, going <laughs> to gonna be showing up here. No diggity. It's going down, fade to Black Street. The homies got at me, collab creations. Bump like agony, no doubt. I put it down, never slouch. As long as my credit can vouch, a dog couldn't catch me. Tell me who could stop with Dre making moves, attracting honeys like a magnet. Giving them orgasms with my mellow accent. Still moving this flavor with the homies Black Street and Teddy, the original rough shakers. Shutting it down, good luck. Baby got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much grounds, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte, each and every day. True play away. I can't get her out of my mind. Wow. I think about the girl all the time. Wow, wow. <laughs> no, no diggity. What would be the new Jack Swing? What equivalent in the UK? What, no, no, I mean, what would make, what would approach being, the, what's the best New Jack Swing album? Bobby Brown. It absolutely, it was his prerogative to do New Jack Swing. Absolutely. He was the New Jack. And, and the, uh, it's, I guess, somewhat paradoxically, the boys to men who were nonetheless drawing on that boy group, but bringing in the R&B boy group with the hip hop beats underneath it. Yeah. Doing a little. But, yeah. Now, yeah. Now Motown we're, Philly. Now we're, yeah, Motown Philly's back again. So what? So you're going to circle back to trip hop from this new Jack Swing uh, thing? Yeah, in, I, I in, am. <laughs> in that everything, everything sort of ha- was informed by hip hop, hip hop beats, hip hop sampling. Is that is that where you're going with that? That is where I'm going with that. I mean, it, well, in the ways in which that. that what was uh, you know was happening in America versus what was happening in, in the UK? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but in the ways in which both simultaneously were importing that as the new the new move to make these. Uh, and gosh, if if anything typifies the '90s, it, it's all these hybrid all these hybrid bands, right? Yeah. I mean, I know that you know your favorite uh, Limp Biscuit and stuff is not. <laughs> And Lincoln Park are not on these lists. Well, that's like late 90s. I mean, when I was... Well, I'm just saying the 90s. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're in the mid-90s here, so... I'm trying to remember... Yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to remember how I went through my 90s wormhole the other day in the lead-up to this this episode. And I ended up on Nina Cherry. I think I think some one of the guys from Portishead produced a song that was on Homebrew. Nina Cherry's, like, follow-up to the Buffalo Stance you know, album. Mm. And it's, it's, the stuff's just so great. I mean, you know, and then you get something like Soho's hippie chick.
you know, just great, great. What a great sound. I think an underrated, under-celebrated sound. Like if you go back to it now, it sounds kind of fresh. Uh, in all the <laughs> definitions of fresh. It sounds new. You know, it's I funny mean, that you would you know. say that because I was going to say the exact opposite going into this. Oh, really? It's been over-celebrated or Well, it, no, or? no, not that it's been over-celebrated, but... But what I want to say is... Christ! What I meant was... What I meant was... Give, hey. give me a beat. I gotta I got, I got lay this down. Before I make my point, give me a beat. Where was I? Oh, okay. I was going to say the exact opposite from you, uh, which was that, uh, in some ways, delving back into this moment... This stuff, which is chronologically closer to us, in in many ways to me, felt more distant than things from the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah, than, yeah. Than, I, I than, wouldn't than dispute we've that. To, right? The ways in which... And that's also because of the ways in which those things had been started to be recycled or the sounds of the 80s and 70s have been recycled going into the to, to, to the aughts. Right. You and know? I would argue how it was demographically rammed down our throats as well. I mean... The, the, I think the spirit of a lot of this uh, mid '90s stuff, with both being inspired by hip hop and then also just trying to make it new, was uh, stuff that was our very own. I mean, for for better for better for worse, you know. Uh, I remember loving Red Hot Chili Peppers. It feels like I'm thinking of a different person, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and but at the same time, I was like, wow, this is actually like people who are my age making popular music. I mean, oh, not right, just yeah. unpopular music. And you know, I'm picking on my own sensibilities here because red actually peppers is not aged very well but both to the entire culture i think and me well they they but, age well to into californication i mean even if you don't like that album it, it nonetheless uh, you know it was was applauded yeah, at the right, time right but, right yeah yeah but i guess i'm thinking of the more you know funk hip-hop informed type stuff um mm. and i think nina cherry nina cherry like was like with a great uh could have been if you ask me I mean, even Madonna was afraid of her when Buffalo Stance came out with that great mix-up of of uh, tunefulness, singing, and, and rapping. I mean, I mean, yeah. that's like one of the best singles of the 90s, if it was the 90s, maybe by mid-'89, <laughs> but one of the greatest singles of all time. But, you know, and, and, and maybe we'll throw in Motown Philly or whatever here, yeah. but just to remind people. Yo, fellas, y'all ready to do this? Boys to 
you were to throw that new Jack Swing drum beat in, in, into a song today, it would be DOA. <laughs> I mean, that's how... It, I mean, I, I, that's a problem with the, the proximity uh, of it as well, right? Like, yeah. if our music today is trying to establish itself against what that was, then there's no way you should have any <laughs> hallmark but don't uh, you of th- those moments. But don't you think, like, 10 years from now, 15 oh, years from now, absolutely. it'll recycle itself? Because mm-hmm. I mean, now I'm, I'm hearing some new stuff that's being played on the podcasts and being talked about. And I'm like, this stuff is from, like, 1982. You know this this you know you know synth informed singing over synths and drum machines and stuff. It's clever. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. But you could totally hear uh, those influences that you never thought you would have ever heard again. Oh, like a Heaven Seventeen and you know oh. sound alike band. What? Wow, nice nice yeah. drop there. Yeah, Heaven Seventeen. Uh, I love Heaven Seventeen. Once there was a time. <laughs> uh. Yeah, they were so close to your precious style council. Uh, let's let us get back to Portishead, however, and they came out of the gates with an, an EP called Numb, uh, which also made its appearance. Well, I didn't know on that. this on on their first um, debut album, uh, Dummy. So let's play <laughs> Numb since we've been talking about Portishead yeah. for a while. Yeah, it's not just uh, hip hop drum beats. Yeah, although those are slowed down hip hop drum beats or something. I mean that that tom as opposed to a snare mm-hmm. beat. You know, that's very. I'm not going to bring up New Jack Swing again, but, <laughs> but I think the other reason I brought up New Jack Swing, <laughs> and that's the end of it, uh, <laughs> is that connection to to R and B, or at least the ways in which Beth Gibbons, the singer here, um, draws in a, on a sort of a torch song. Yeah, you know, soul soul tradition, which is alive and well in the UK. And She's so I think the secret weapon of this of this uh, combo. They were mm. a duo. They were billed as a duo when this album came out. But the third guy, whose name escapes me, 
was yeah. added to the bill, and they're now like properly a trio, like Haynes or Hines or something is the, the a- third. Adrian something or other. Yeah, maybe but Adrian. You're the, Jeff Barrow is the other guy. Right, who, who yeah. Worked. That guy was played on almost all these tracks. He was, you know, he was, he's maybe the musician of the of the trio. Right. But Beth Gibbons really is the, uh, I think, the secret weapon. And also what she's doing, which is making these things proper songs, or at least seem like proper songs, you know, um, mm. as opposed to, like, instrumental-type stuff uh, like DJ Shadow. So that's the reason why I think that this, you know, sold more and became, you know, uh, you know on MTV and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is some. It's, it is somehow simultaneously sensual and chilly, right? Like, I, it's it's hard to quantify how that's possible. I mean, it's, this particular song, "Numb," that we just played, is kind of slinky in the bass line and has these sort of funky uh, synth stab lines that are going on in the back, but they're really icy and 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 really reverbed and w- mixed way in the background. So the whole thing feels like. Uh, you know, we're in some, it's like, yeah, some sort of future, um, uh, yeah, future sex music or something along those lines, you know? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny. After but... all the great adjectives I just laid down, they failed me there at the end. Well, there but... was, I think at the, at, on our outro of our last episode, we were talking about Portishead. There was a takeoff of, of this and they called it like yuppie shagging music. <laughs> and it is in a way like more or less true. I mean, um, but at the same time, I think, um, it does in episode, uh, 85? No, that's what we are on now. Like, on 95, okay. we were doing... Uh, oh, we have the list right here. Yeah. Uh, we covered uh, Talk Talk. Um, I Actually, I was the person... 95. I, I presented uh, Talk Talk's... Um, um, the Spirit, Spirit of Spirit, Eden. Spirit of Eden. And there is a connection between Portishead and Talk Talk. Um, Beth Gibbons uh, and Rustin Man. Uh, after uh, well, during one of their many like out years long breaks, put out well, I think a pretty underrated album. I mean, oh, it's fantastic. I thought it was fantastic. But have you read the reviews from that time, sir? Were- we have finally met. <laughs> it was no, a but pretty I good. Uh, it's a pretty good album. I it mean, is, yeah. and uh, it was. I spent a lot of money at, at uh, Tower Records for that sucker. <laughs> it was an import. It was probably one of the last import only things that you know I got that you dropped. That I got. Yeah. It was like twenty five bucks or something, but it was well worth it. It's a wonderful, wonderful it's album. And uh, the person Beth Gibbons recorded the album with is the bassist from Talk Talk, uh, Rustin right. Man, whose real name is like uh, Sid Jablonowitz. No, I forget his name completely. <laughs> but uh, uh, so it, it, it was kind of, I remember even at the time, I was like, ah, that's the connection. You, you listen to these uh, ambient sounding rock, you know, sketches of Spain, you know, type type uh uh, post rock, right? That's what you call uh, it, right? Uh, yeah. And that's and that, it was just nice to see that um, that that was the that's who Rustin Man was. <laughs> it made sense, mm-hmm. um, indeed. Yeah, check that one out, kids. Well, out that's of season, out of season, it's called out of season. Yeah, and but it it got it got really like pummeled in the press. I mean, because they said uh, it looks like Beth Gibbons never really liked trip hop in the first place, and it's like eh, maybe she just tried to do something different. <laughs> yeah, right, maybe the guy right, from right. Talk Talk isn't so into trip hop. <laughs> this just in, uh, right? But but this but this album, uh, you know, really, uh, I think it still sounds. Pretty oh no, great. it still sounds great. I'm just yeah. saying that the it's like I say, 
poetically. I was trying to be poetic and say it just sounds more distant, even though even oh, chronologically yeah. oh, closer. Yeah. Um, and the, and there were so many bands that tried to sound like them pretty pretty quickly. It yeah. seems like um, I'm trying to think of names, but the Sneaker Pimps. Remember that? Um, oh yeah, six foot six. I think it's not six foot, but six underground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll remind you right here. I think. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah. Suddenly, a lot of um, moody synths with slow breakbeats and female singers. I think the female sounding, singer sounding thing, sultry, and, and also yeah. the soundtrack informed uh, distance uh, really made Portishead stand out. I, th- I think in the run up to that, we we're talking about that that swing of the New Jacks, yes. as well as funky hip hop drums behind everything. Um, up until that point. I mean, the late 80s onward, there was a whole strand of pop music that had that. Yeah. Um, um, To the point where even, like, you know, Tom Petty was doing, like, records with, like, when the levee breaks sampled courtesy of Rick Rubin. You know, like, it was just like, let's just have a sample drum loop behind it. Yeah. And, uh, but I think what Portishead did that was differently was was actually have, like, a jazz-informed singer as well as uh, space. Some, yeah. some kind of space. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. The way I mean, these the, the instruments are very distinct and separated from each other. Um, are you going to play the hit? I am going to play the hit. What, I what? love the hit on this album. Sour Times? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because, boy, I mean, you've got that that haunting guitar line. Yeah, they, and, they, and that was the other way that they, I, 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 I've been the whole week in preparing for this episode, I've been trying to think about how to do I mean, the only thing I can come up with is this sort of a, this sort of James Bondy uh, type guitar lines yeah. that they, they were using. I mean, get technical about the kinds of scales, but I, I mean, I guess it kind of appears in Western music, the kind that you hear in Western uh, movies. Morico- <laughs> Anyo Morricone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That kind of, that kind of thing. Um, um, yeah, but, but otherwise it's, it's, it's difficult to describe besides the sort of, you know, the sort of mysterious James Bond mm-hmm. uh, feel that they were trying to use in so many of these uh, songs. And yeah. it, it very clean, very clean sounding. Did I mention clean? Very clean sounding uh, guitar lines. Mm-hmm. 
We, I came over the hypothetical. If the Smiths got back together again, and somebody no, why do we mention the Smiths though to begin with? Because this is reflecting a sort of misanthropic, disengaged. You could totally hear Morrissey singing this this Mm. chorus. Nobody, nobody loves me. It's true. It is true. And I think like you do. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he. But anyway, for the record, my podcast mate Eric Hertz would in fact go to see a reunited Smiths in a heartbeat at Terminal Five if given a free ticket. That was the scenario I handed to him. And, uh, but then I amped it up a little it's bit. A podcast and I said, exclusive. Wait, what if Wolfgang Van Halen was replaced Andy Rourke? Andy Rourke? Yes. Wow. Yes. We have to talk about the Smiths so much. <laughs> this you've, just did. You've got the band down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, then, but then we thought of Michael Anthony singing background vocals on a reunited Smiths. And I think <laughs> we're not going to reenact that whole bit. But, but him doing some but we like, enjoyed it a great high, deal. tight background vocals on on uh, some Smith stuff. That would that would fucking amp it up. There's no way the beard would be back. If he had the Jack Dan- Jack Daniel's bass. <laughs> he's just like punching the strings like in the unchained video. <laughs> These are all great things, but this is you loved this song. Oh yeah. I think you've said it three times on the podcast. I have a I bought like a, a like a CD 12 inch with like three or four different mixes of it and one of them's like really rocking. It's like it's 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 like just why would we want combo. that? <laughs> I, I love well. I I think it was because I was listening to the song so many times. I wanted to hear all different iterations I hear of a it. Different version. Yeah, of, yeah, I want to hear a samba version of it. You know, it's it, it, and, uh, and there's even more minimal trip hoppy uh, version as well, as well as a different version of uh, what was the song you played Numb. before? Numb. There's a, like yeah. a different mix of that song on it. It yeah. might have been one of the first times you would really try to get all the different mixes and i think they did the remixes it's not like they commissioned different people mm. for that but it was but it was, this was around that time that thing kind of thing started to happen as well the, the where you would get thing. some sort of 12 mix 12 inch they still called them 12 inch yeah. cds yeah what the hell <laughs> referring to the size of the record well, but at any rate uh the vinyl i mean but yeah that you would get you know, six different versions of a song right right yeah. And I think uh, it just reminds me of one of my favorites from this period, and I'm really surprised it's not on the NME list, at, at least, because it's largely like a critic. I think the guy is a critic. I mentioned him before, San Etienne. Love San Etienne. And mm. I think they're, they predate Portishead for sure, but they are equally just exquisite tastes in, in sampling movie uh, dialogue, all the, the hip-hop right. beats female singer with a like sort of wondrous you know um you know high voice you know and i'm just surprised that's not on any of the list there's no shout outs to them or or whatever you listen to mario's cafe and 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 they're also oh this is why i brought it up because they 
you listen to Casino Classics, like a double CD of all their remixes and uh, different DJs or whatever remix their stuff, and to the point where they're unrecognizable. These tracks, but, right? But that's uh, that's the sort of willingness to have your stuff completely <laughs> torn apart and broken up, and still have it be called that is is straight from the from the DJ culture, but it's also straight from this trip hop culture as well, right? That's what I I, I, th- I just think that's why it's so compelling to me. It sounds like a real band, so there's a simulacrum thing going on, simulacrum, <laughs> <laughs> trademark. Yeah. Um, so you feel like there's like a band playing, but it's not. But boy, I'm getting oh, myself well, all hepped up. We've given up on that a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. No, no, people don't give up on that. Then they form bands like freaking Limp Biscuit, which has like the DJ guy from House of Pain like in the band. Yeah. I mean, there's innocuous things like uh, I don't know. Oh, Sugar Ray. Yeah, you have innocuous. Boom. You have <laughs> so you have innocuous realizations it of it, like Sugar Ray or whatever. Then, but then you have like sort of really bad iterations of like a band with a DJ. Mm. Best to just keep it DJ with maybe a bassist <laughs> <laughs> and some sort of an orchestrator uh, of of all the sounds there together. But they here again on. Uh, like the, the 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 as I mentioned that clean guitar, but com- completely dry, almost no reverb on this thing whatsoever. And but meanwhile, you've got these uh, uh, synth pads that are way in the background. And so there's just lots of space uh, in these songs as as Beth just plaintively sings about not being loved. I saw them at uh, Exit by You. <laughs> I, no, I saw them in New York live. And they were great. They were fantastic. A pretty moody light show. And- oh, it was moody. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was a total New York. Mo- David Byrne. <laughs> I spotted David Byrne. I mean, what if she came out with like the, the half mic stand? <laughs> 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 with like uh, no, with like scarves and stuff. Dan- <laughs> Come on! <laughs> when I say nobody, you say love me. <laughs> that would have been that would have been not like you. Do. <laughs> not like you. <laughs> We're enjoying this way too much uh, <laughs> at the expense of a really great album, though. I mean, it was it was something that I think we both got right away. You, you you even ran out and bought six different versions of the, of this one oh, yeah. song and uh, and it it left a huge mark uh, that as we mentioned I'm surprised so that, many imitators for a good five years or so yeah I'm surprised that uh, Sour Times is not the most played song on Spotify it's like uh, I think it's Numb actually yeah uh, is their most their most is that played. right yeah it's it's not Sour Times not by a long shot and. Uh, I like their other albums too. Oh, you know, my gosh, third. It, it, I mean, they had third took, one especially. They yeah. took a break there, but just uh, I want to say a recent, but I know that to, it's like two thousand three. <laughs> exactly, it's like twelve yeah. years ago. Or yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, something at least that two thousand. I want to say two thousand seven. Yeah, I think or you're right. Eight yeah. or something like that. But yeah, yeah, but almost ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. Yeah, absolutely great. They're still around. They're do they they curated uh, all tomorrow's parties. I think a couple years ago, and now they did some festivals and stuff. Probably DJ Shadow passed them in the hallway as they're in Ibiza. <laughs> all right, great. Well, album. let's let's. I you know, you've got another ninety five. Someday, I feel you want like, to give me a guess? It's like, come it's, on, it's like you, you got nothing. You got I, nothing. I got nothing. I um, 
No, I, and I also think I've also guessed things that you didn't pick, so I feel like you won't go with those now that I've already guessed them. Holy, do you think I'm? Do you think I would actually switch my kicker pick because you guessed it? Yes. Wow. Just to spite me. <laughs> that is really. That is you. You think so much. So. Oh wow. And it's not a reissue. No, it's not a reissue. Came out in '95, which was still a sweet spot for you, right? I mean, you're still. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I was. Ish. I, I was ish. You know. Yeah. This is, yeah. Well, I'm going to do a cold open. We'll do the cold open. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've thought about maybe instead of a cold open, can maybe I can do this as a cold open with you wearing headphones and I can do commentary of all your facial expressions. Can we do that? How are we going to, how are we going to pull? I'm going to hook, I'm we're just going to unplug your headphones. We're wearing headphones for those of you who aren't here, which yeah. is everyone. Instead, <laughs> plug it up. Plug plug you up to my to my stereo, and so Uh-oh. when I fire up the song, I just want to see you. Uh, because I, you know that I know it. Oh yeah. All right, so we'll do that after these after these words. See how it works out. Okay, we're back. Eric is hooked to my laptop, so only he will be hearing this, and then then I'll play it for you guys at home. But I I just want to share share in the joy of this so I'm just keying it in because I went off the grid for this so no one knows that I'm playing it no one (laughs) he's now listening to Alanis Morissette's hand in my pocket he's enjoying it I think he just he just made the prayer signal. <laughs> We're going to let it go to the chorus. <laughs> it builds up. I'm broke, but I'm happy. I'm poor, but I'm kind. I'm short, but I'm healthy. Yeah. I'm high, but I'm grounded. I'm sane, but I'm overwhelmed. I'm lost, but I'm So I just played. Uh, you got jagged on me. Yeah, jagged little pill is you might have heard of it by Alanis Morissette. Came out in 1995. It did. Yeah. Wow. Um, that was her uh, third studio album. She had a couple of clunkers. Then she got together with a certain guy named Glenn Ballard. <laughs> that those of you who listen to female <laughs> artists might have heard of. 
<laughs> well, I don't think he was a. I don't think he was a. He his his resume is varied. <laughs> did he? But did he not go on to work with like Sarah McLaughlin and stuff? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Also, Wilson Phillips. <laughs> so so on quite a run there in the nineties. Yeah, uh, Sheena Easton. That same year, wow. China. I didn't know the China. He did not help her with her sugar walls, though. <laughs> No, that would be uh, Mr. Rogers Nelson. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, wow. I, I when I looked at the albums that were released in 1995, and I started to think, this is on the list, right? This is on Entertainment Weekly's list. It has to be. You know what? It I, has it, to be. It, when I say so many questions, that's one of them. Yeah. Not. How is it not? It's not. I'll, I'll look it up again just to be sure. No, no, it's not. You're right. It's not. It's not. And it's, uh, it, you know, it was completely slagged by the critics when it first came out. So this this fits the template for me, right? Yes. <laughs> as far as, like, wh- what I what I am trying to do as far as, like, canon making. <laughs> and this is an album that was completely slagged by, you know, just about everybody. The dean of, the dean of uh, rock critics actually gave it a B plus and thought it was, um, you know, you know, called it maybe six or seven mainly effective songs. I mean, like the guy's like the guy's <laughs> such a prick. <laughs> Errantly effective, actually. Yeah. Ooh, oh. Oh, that's even worse. Accidentally did it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's happy to help and see if he can make a bell sound when you hear some uh, misogyny. Okay, she's happy to help fifteen million girls of many ages stick a basic feminist truth in our faces. Ding. <laughs> <laughs> Privileged phonies have identity problems too. <laughs> Not to mention man problems. Ding, ding, ding. ding. <laughs> we ought to have like a sound effect. Like, <laughs> oh, so these you, assholes. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not the audience for Jack. I knew I wasn't when I heard it. But boy, I, I love that song. I love Hand in My Pocket. You know, I, I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful song. The you know, one- I just want to say that like I, it was around this period, too, that like uh, another Doors uh, box set and by love the doors by the way, but uh, uh, another doors box set, you know, it's like, and then the sticker said in, includes the the unreleased single "Woman Is the Devil." Oh Jesus! And Christ. I was like, yeah, you know, I haven't heard that one, but I've heard that one, <laughs> you know. So in the nineties, this is the blueprint. A woman sings about, well, I mean, there are other, you know. About Ryan females. Reynolds. We can talk about Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> other females <laughs> complaining about men before, but I mean that that she would be so strident in her complaints uh, would be like, God oh, fucking forbid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man problems. 
Oh, unbelievable. I mean, the, 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 the one song, well, one of the, you ought to know is not the, my favorite song on the album. Oh my God. It's the whole reason I bought the album. It is. This is a tie back to your, I mean, okay. This is the moment where I confess my love for the red hot chili peppers because <laughs> you've brought them up several times, uh-huh. but yeah, I mean, it's, it was flea on bass, right? I and mean, Dave Navarro on guitar, yes. which I didn't quite know until I just read an oral history of uh, Jane's addiction. But yeah, so you bought it because Flea was slapping the bass. Yeah, sla- slapping the bass. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, God, that song is fantastic. It's I a think. fucking great song. I mean, yes. uh, you know, uh, it's, it's and sung at karaoke. Aggra- and aggressive. Yeah, it's an aggressive <laughs> it song. And it's fabulous it's, to finally hear someone sing like this about these things. And what and is my memory correct? Is t- Was Taylor Hawkins actually her drummer, like at least touring-wise? Gosh, I, think that's, I don't know. I think that true, was... So this is Foo Fighters drummer Taylor right, Hawkins. Right. So I think in the video of You Ought to Know, it's Flea playing bass and Taylor Hawkins playing drums. I'd have to look that up, but hmm. but yeah, it's a it's a great song and it and it sounded fresh to me. I mean, uh maybe maybe I needed some more fresh freshness, but <laughs> but the vitriol that it was met with, I think, really uh even then when I it, it really rang as like icky. Yeah. Um, it, it like proved the point. Yeah, it proved the point that this yeah. was like an important album. Why wouldn't there be an album of like breakup songs by uh, a young woman in 1995? Like, what's the matter with that? Uh, I mean, Taylor Swift has made a career on it. Yes, yes, yeah. So, I mean, and I, and indeed, I bet you that's an album that's like in her canon. I mean, um, in my little folder for, for this uh, is... Um, like multiple roundtables from the Atlantic and uh, other like magazines, like 20 years later, you know, jagged little pill with mm. like, you know, like that with a roundtable of staff members always indicates to me that it's more than one staff member who wanted to fucking write about it. So they just made it a round table. <laughs> and, and uh, so it was really important to a lot of people. And, uh, and not only that, it's, it's, there's so many great kick-ass uh, songs on it. I mean, people like to make fun of uh, the ironic song, but it's a, it's a great song. It's it's got a total sing along uh, chorus. Uh, which song would you want me to play for my kicker? Pick? I mean, you know, I, <laughs> what I what, when I said so many questions, I my, one of my other questions was is how did you pick that song to? I mean, of all the songs uh-huh. <laughs> on that album. I really, I think that's my favorite song. I just, I just really love the the chorus. I love the lyric. Yeah, I mean, so maybe I'm being a little bit uh, elitist or something, saying I like, or contrarian, saying I, I like that song more than uh, You Ought to Know or or uh, You Learn. You live, you yeah. learn. Yeah, yeah, no. you know. Yeah. I mean, and you know. The, the, I know all of them. Yeah. Like, uh, all the songs. When I was playing this album in my car and singing along at red lights and being caught <laughs> in the last week, uh, what, I, what I found was uh, it really... More so, more than it being also like a girl, multiple R's, you know, uh, favorite album, it really set the template for a lot of really bad like male bands. Oh, you're you're saying this sort of almost a launching ground for emo, but not yeah, yeah. emo. Like yeah, that's fine. I, I I'm okay with that influence, but I'm talking about like some some really bad just like like mainstream rock type bands like really lifted a lot from the sound palette of this. Hmm. Uh, or the songwriting from this a- album, you know, I mean, I'm, I actually like uh, live, you know, throwing copper and that type that type of stuff. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I dig that kind of anthemic rock. Big surprise, but uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is and so I thought I, ugh, 
I heard a lot of, you know, train and things like that in these in these songs that, that came a little bit later that I think, um, you know, I don't like as much. I, mm. I like this a lot better. I like the, lyri- the lyrics actually stand out. You know, they're not generic. And uh, there's the sound palette actually is far more interesting than that. I mean, I was trying to think, oh, is this going to just sound completely different compared to the two albums that we discussed today, D- Introducing and Portishead? Right. But in a way, if you listen to that song, I mean that that song is completely, almost completely electronic, right? I mean it's it, it's programmed drums, and then it mm. goes into live drums. So it's really quite clever uh, the way these songs are are put together. A lot of these songs are put together. Right, right, right. Um, and then there's just straight out and out rockers like you ought to know, which I guess was probably what put it on the um, you um, know, on my radar. Everyone's radar, you know, yeah. because you know I really loved. Uh, so do you want to play You Ought to Know? Let's play a little snippet you know, of You Ought to I, Know. I, if you're asking me, and if you're asking, uh, what's the actual title? See Right Through You? Is that what the one? Right Through You. Right Through You. Oh, okay. That's a deep track in the way. Wait a minute, man. You mispronounced my name. You didn't wait for all the information before you turned me away. Wait a minute, sir. You kind of hurt my See me as a sweet back load and puppet And you've got meal ticket I can just isolate it. I think she says, "Wine dine sixty nine me." Mm. Yes, yeah. I can imagine like Glenn Barrel Ballard, like that's a good lyric, man. Let's go with it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Wait till Madonna hears that yeah. <laughs> at the Maverick. But more, more angst. <laughs> that that's a great, and that's a deep track, right? Or was that a single? Was that another? Sing- There's like six singles from this album. It's crazy. Oh well, the harmonies. I mean, the, the reason I like that one too is that um it really soars in the chorus and we get into this yeah into the guitars and the um and the great uh, vocally rich harmonies and stuff one of the things i thought i would bring up at least as far as this album and it's and i think welcome uh rehabilit critical rehabilitation is that in our lifetime we have at least seen one generational turn of the rock critic intelligentsia i mean first of all rock critics like are basically bloggers now but but i think um you know a lot of the robert crisco generation have have gone away and now you have people who are younger than us who grew up who went on like you know i'm just scanning through these these articles of uh, these uh 20 year anniversary which i guess was 2005 right right 
and they were talking about junior high trips and 30, those, 30th anniversary. 30th, yeah, yeah, it's on the 30th anniversary now. And um, oh my god, yeah, this album is 30 years old. Wait, we're close. Is that true? No, it's 20 years old. 20 years old. You meant the opposite. Yeah, oh, sorry. Years, yeah. <laughs> um, math, math not good. Math not good. <laughs> um, but they're talking about junior high trips while listening to this while we were like grown ass men, you know. So, <laughs> That's right. And, and it's it's great that they are like, you know, saying, hey, this was actually a great, important album. And that, yeah, they might sort of say, of course, it was, you know, popular. It sold 30 million copies and I knew it was an alternative rock or whatever. But these were songs that the lyrics addressed the hopes and dreams and and, uh, you know, challenges of being like a young woman and breaking up with a man and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it was the way that she sang it too, I think, which is what was also perceived as threatening to people. Um, you know, that she would be, I mean, she, she certainly has an, uh, a, a vocal affectation, which is, um, yeah, much more dramatic, uh, right. than things that we had heard up to this, this point. Sophie Gilbert in the Atlantic says that, you know, has, uh, its lyrics practically beg to be quoted in all caps, <laughs> and it's and it's true. So yeah. in a way, I'm jealous of uh, you know not being able to like grow up with this particular. We had plenty of albums to to write re, you know write out lyrics in the inside of our notebooks, as I'm sure you did as well as me. <laughs> um, but this was their album, and I think that that's it's important to put this in the top 100. It's in the top 500 of Rolling Stones top 500. But you know, come on. I mean, this was like an important album musically. It's it's pretty great. So what's the problem? And, rock, and, rock critics and, uh, and, uh, and and probably even you know even more important than Portishead. <laughs> uh, this and in, in some ways that's not hard to do, unfortunately. Uh, but this was the album that sent all those A and R men running across the country looking for female singer songwriters. Yeah, yeah. And there were a lot of them. Yeah. Thank heavens. I think the one thing that, you know, probably happened was that Alanis Morissette was completely overwhelmed by this. I mean, completely freaked out by the, you know, both the 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 haters as well as the lovers of this. And, and but thankfully, she did have a, a pretty great uh, follow up single after this. Thank you. Which the, for me sounds for completely like album, Cocteau man. Twins. <laughs> it, it, it totally recalls Cocteau <laughs> Twins. And it's a great, great song. So. I remember listening to that song thinking, oh, that's great. She's she's still going. Uh, you know, it wasn't a fluke. It validated in a way, like, the reason why I like that album, the other Jagged Little Pill in the first place. Um, so I don't know what she says. She's just naked in the video. I remember that part. Um, oh, that's right. She's walking around. And so in a way, she's meeting that shit head on, saying, okay, I'm naked with all my brown hair covering my Canadian boobies. <laughs> I kid. Out. It is, in fact, I think one of the most moving songs I know of, actually. Yeah. It's a really, really? true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll confess. Do, it's do a you, podcast exclusive. Do you hear? I've, I've teared up on it a few times. Have you? Do you hear <laughs> Cocteau Twins in, in my, and my children say, are, are you? I was like, it's just allergies. <laughs> because why would your father be crying? <laughs> it's true. Thank you, India. Uh, I don't know. I, that song is a sort of companion song to this, the way like Good Vibrations is with Pet Sounds or something. It's like, yeah. So let's play. Let's play. You ought to know. Uh, and and I want to keep talking about it if it's okay. Yeah. So let's go. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I 
wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on me? to know that should be on the, one of the top 100 lists yeah it really should yeah uh the video like we looked at the video taylor hawkins was the taylor uh, the, the the taylor drummer the touring drummer of uh for last more sets so there's all kinds of cool like 90s rock connections there mm. uh with flea and dave navarro playing on it dave navarro of jane's addiction and then just in the- case just for for the yes. kids who are keeping track at home. And, uh, but at that point, I think he was in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes, that's right. He was out. He was, that, For was, one hot minute. Yes. Their kind of clunker album, apparently. I, d- I don't agree, but... I like that's, that album. That's a whole other... Yeah, yeah that's a whole, whole yeah. other discussion. I, it won't be... <laughs> I won't be making it a kicker pick, but it's... <laughs> but it's, but it's uh, not bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Three, 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 three or four good songs. Yeah. Jagged Little Pill. Why, why would you not pick that as your 95 kicker pick? That's what I would say. But it, I think I said while we were while we were playing one of these tracks that a, a close second was Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness, mm-hmm. which is, a you know, as these things go, that's peak Smashing Pumpkins. But uh, And I, I think the turning point for me was how many tracks do I really want to play, 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 play over and over again? And maybe it's the earworm um, aspect of some of these songs on Jag a little pill, but uh, I would play, I would replay at least five or six of the tracks on this album and put it on a playlist and, and listen to it over again. Um, whereas yeah. it would be maybe 1979 <laughs> and that's it from, from melancholy. Um, so apologies, smashing pumpkins fans, but, but I got to go with Alanis. Here. Yeah. It's right. I can't believe I'm going to reference this, but I mean, Glee in its final season did a, Jagged little tapestry episode with all the Lannis Morissette tracks, with, with all Lannis Morissette and Carol King tunes. Oh, mash. jagged little tapestry! Jagged little tapestry! Nice. Yeah, I mean, I think that I only mean, that's, shows, but the, yeah, that's this what is the that, tapestry of the '90s generation. That's right. That has were you going to say that? This, yeah, this is how big this album is. Yeah, yeah. it got its own episode. But I, I think it's a crime to if you have a 100 albums, you got to put in there. And if you want to even go with like trying to keep the diversity thing going, this is like a woman singer song. You know, if you want, it, like for so many reasons, you would have it in here. It's popularity. It's the fact that it's a woman. It's the fact that the lyrics and and its importance to. Yeah, it, I, it was really surprising to see it not on the top one hundred list. Agreed. I don't even think it's on the Mojo one. I I have faith in Mojo. No, no, it's not. So so that's it. 
Should, let's do, uh, but let's even though it's not on this album, let's do. Let's be thankful. Yeah, and, and do thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. As we're the, gonna cry as, together as in this room. Hold each other. Yeah, <laughs> gently, <laughs> gently weeping. And that's from uh, from her uh, follow up album Poopy from nineteen ninety eight called Supposed Former Infatuate. Suppose take two. Supposed former infatuation junkie, and you know she came up with that title just to mess up, yeah, mess with She's people like, like me, like Fiona Apple or something. She's <laughs> right. gonna, it's a full <laughs> sentence as a, as an album title. We just call it the second album. and public service announcement do finish your antibiotics <laughs> the doctor says 10 days do it do you think she was referring to a sexually transmitted disease or just maybe like a urinary <laughs> tract infection <laughs> a UTI um, yeah no no I no, no obviously I think that <laughs> I think the medicines are doled out too regularly <laughs> for all kinds of reasons <laughs> And, and, I I say, think, and I say this with as someone with a doctorate in English literature. That's right. <laughs> Take it from me. I'm a doctor. Um, yeah, no, I, I think she's like, yeah, try something else to cure yourself instead, you know. Yeah. It's like poetical or whatever, but I'm, yeah. Yeah. It's it's cool to, I don't think, I, I'm trying to think of another rock song that has the word antibiotics in it. <laughs> There, there should be. I mean, that's half of an iambic <laughs> pentameter right there. Exactly. So what a what a venturiza of an episode, huh? You know, wow. like we we have we have uh, you know, you know, we started off kind of slow and moody with the introducing, and then we nobody loved us in that second we one. Very chilled out, and, and then uh, uh, we we took it up. We took it up. <laughs> we took it up. 
<laughs> so what's next for... Uh... And screamed at the universe. <laughs> we did scream at the universe. And then, and then we're thankful for it. Oh wow! We this is this is a this is a really weird podcast, man. I have to say, the one that's coming up is very yeah, strange. We did that, but just the fact that we were like deep in the '90s and we're talking about program drums and New Jack Swing. Sorry, and, there it is again. And there it is again, and and uh, and and feminism and stuff. And now we're going over to uh, James Brown in the Jungle Groove, an anthology. Is that a box set? I don't think that is. It's Star a, Star Time is the one I have. It might be too. I'm gonna call bullshit on that too. By the way, oh. Th- there are James Brown albums to pick. Yeah, but but nonetheless, this is on is, our list. Is it, Live at the Apollo further up? That's the one everybody. That's the one that should be on there. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think it is, and um, and we'll talk about it certainly when we find out that it's not. And um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, why Grace Hits album is on here is is ridiculous. Well, as we know, the the. Both albums, all three albums that we discussed today are better than Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. <laughs> so, 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 uh, so this is just science. All of these things where they're, they're making the top 100 list. They, they, they're in the lab. They're shaking test tubes, you know, and, uh, and then putting them under slides. Yeah. So, and what, what are you going to do next time, next I, week? I am going to try to convince myself why the band is important <laughs> for, for next week. It's the band's self-titled, eponymously titled, The Band. <laughs> it's not a, That's not Songs for the Big Pink, is it? It's like their debut album? Are we going to do another I think you're band asking album? me. I don't, I, I'll find out. I don't know. We're, we're within and a... Then, and then we're, so today was... And then, and then I get a kicker pick. From 1969 or 70. We're going back. I remember razzing you last time. Like, nice. Just give yourself 69 and 70. Give yourself a nice, like. Well, uh, and we shouldn't do this too often, but the the week afterwards, you you get an 81 to 82. So I I, I expect you to be paralyzed with, you know, with complete indecision. Well, it did. I'm happy to do James (laughs) Brown, man. I am very happy. I I didn't know that you you were uh, iffy about the band. You know, oh, didn't know that. Well, look, maybe I'm not. We'll find. I'll find out for next yeah. time. I think you'll. I mean, you know, we're old men now. I bet you you're you're ready for it. That's right. That's right. Find, they're the band for me. Yeah, take a load yeah. off, Eric. <laughs> Wait, is that a reference <laughs> of some kind? See, you've already lost me. God damn it. <laughs> Well, that was fun, and uh, I've had it's about... Sa- it's Sally's? Is it Take a Load Off Sally? Fanny. Fanny? Yeah. Take a Load Off Fanny. Are you sure? I think. I don't know. We'll have to play it. <laughs> and then I'm sure I'm sure the real one is like, Take a Load Off Lannis. <laughs> and then we both look really dumb. I'm pretty sure they didn't name women Alanis back then. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Are, are the band partly from Canada? Maybe that's they're maybe that's mostly from Canada, Baby Pop. Oh, see, I know something. Yeah, there might be like one American. I think uh, Levon Helm is from like Texas or something. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and Scorsese loves them. Yeah, you've never seen the Last Waltz or any of that stuff. I've seen parts of the Last Waltz. Wow, yeah, this is like a, like we need to have like some a song <laughs> cue for this, an actual Eric Hertz blind spot. Uh, like a willful one, it sounds. Not even like there's not enough time in my day to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. I look forward to. I look forward to finding out why it is I never 
and never wanted to know more. I think why they're why they're important is you know they back Dylan and stuff like that. I mean that like okay, know, there's yeah. that. Yeah, but then, then again, so did the Cruzados. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like why you know why why uh, make that their uh, their raison d'être? All right, so exactly. so I'm Daniel Nestor, and I am still Eric Kurtz, and that. This is ep- that was episode eighty four. We'll be yeah. back. We'll be back for eighty three. We're gonna start getting into the seventy soon. You know, in a couple. Of, that's just that's just the way numbers work. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's just a fact. So, but uh, but thanks for, for thanks for being here for us and uh, helping us through it. Yes, and we'll see you next time. Be thankful for something. Just need some place where I can 